Well, we're looking at John 16 this week. God, help us to take in all that you want us to take in. Let your Holy Spirit be our translator, revealing to us the truths that you want us to hear. To your glory. Amen. So, all of you look like you're old enough to have taken a trip at one time or another. Planning a trip, deciding what route you're going to take, over what terrain, um, what time of year it's going to be, how long you're going to be gone on this trip, how much money to bring, what supplies to bring, um, if you're going in a car. If you're hiking, that's a whole, a little bit more detail needs to be involved in your hike, weather, terrain, clothes, different things like that. But whatever, if we're driving, plane, cruise, hiking, if we're planning a trip, there's preparation for that. And it, the preparation depends upon the knowledge of what's going to be happening. That is the idea we want to use today as we look at chapter 16 of John. In chapter 15, Jesus instructed the disciples what they were to do for this trip, this life. And now in chapter 16, he's informing them what God was going to to do, um, using Christians to proclaim the gospel and the, and the information that the Holy Spirit was going to come in and help also. So we have the disciples' instructions on what they need to do to follow Christ in the days ahead. Now we have the Holy Spirit and what he's going to be doing. And in these two chapters, there's preparation. This is what you guys need to be looking for. This is what lays ahead. They're not just going out there in la-la land, shooting from the hip, not knowing what to do. Jesus carefully, lovingly is preparing them for this, for the, for the journey of proclaiming the gospel. So. It's on the heels already of Judas. They're still in the upper room. Judas betraying um, about the vine, that the knowledge of the vine and abiding. And he's continuing to talk about them. And in verse 16, he's telling them this. I have said all these things, all these things he's been telling them about in the last couple chapters to you to keep you from the purpose falling away. For they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when your hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So he's preparing them. And also for when they start to unfold, it's like, oh yeah, Jesus told us about this. Yeah, that just reinforces our faith, reinforces who he is, that he's God. And it was like he knew it was going to happen. So all of it's being done to, to prepare them, to strengthen them. These things, basically last week we talked about the hostility of the world. The world hates them, hates us as believers. So don't be surprised when someone persecutes you for Christ. Oh my gosh, why don't they love Jesus too like me? Well, the Bible tells us that they're not going to do that. So don't fall away. Don't stumble. These things are for our knowledge so we don't fall away. Well, let's look at that falling away idea here. Because when we see this 
these words we get caught up in our own interpretation but let's take it back that word the verb form of that word um, actually the noun form of that word falling away is refers to a stick in a trap so if i had a trap up here and i put a stick in it whatever and trapped it and i had a bait in there to lure someone to come in there to go and get that and the, the, it tricks the stick up and everything and the hole and they're trapped so falling away is going to be like this here comes someone walking down their hiking trail oh wow look at that over there that's interesting they go over there and it's a trap it's that they get caught up in a trap don't fall away don't fall off where you're going don't be lured away don't take your sights off of where you're going it's like a lurement it's it's meant to kind of sidetrack you the falling away take you off the route that you're on um so don't stumble because you're on a mission you're on a journey you're on a trip this is the plan this is what's expected and so when something happens like that's we should be prepared for if we read his word but we're not it's like oh my gosh we just kind of like start to lose heart we get faint we get in anxiety it's like what what's going on here we get caught up in the situation so by staying focused by knowing what's going to happen by not falling into anxiety or a depression or we have to keep our minds on task and just calm ourselves down falling away is also it represents a lot of anxiety losing heart shocked um so jesus is warning them ahead of time so they don't become disillusioned they don't lose their faith they don't falter they do not lose heart therefore the term take heart we'll get more into what take heart is so that's the idea this is why he's telling them these things and he's telling them he's giving them a couple examples and here's some of the things that's going to happen to them one of them you're going to get thrown out of the synagogue and that was like oh no that's like the one of the most horrific things that could happen to them and you remember his his disciples are all jewish to be thrown out of the synagogue was just humiliation you have leprosy it's like the end of the world you don't want to do that you have to stay in good fellowship but they're going to throw you out. He's telling them they will throw you out. He's also telling them they will kill you. That's pretty fa- that's pretty strong. They're going to kill you. And they're going to kill you in the name of honoring and serving God. Well, we see that today with the radical Islamism. They kill people, you know, in the name of Allah. So the people who are doing this are people who are just they think they're doing the right thing they're so lost and it's because Jesus says it's because they did not know me they did not know me so know that this stuff's going to happen this is so applicable for today we know how the book ends in revelation we know it's not going to be real easy in a cakewalk things are going to progress like a woman in childbirth as the pains and the contractions get closer together and more severe it's not going to get easier so he's describing some specific things that are going to happen he's warning them ahead of time so they will not be caught off guard and the purpose is to deepen their faith to strengthen their resolve when they see that these predictions that he told them about are fulfilled they're going to be stronger in it he's trying to he's preparing them shielding them against the the hatred of the world and the things that they're up against 
These poor guys are really, really overwhelmed. They just are very overwhelmed. Jesus says, "I, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. He was with them. He, 24-7, they were hanging out with Jesus, and except by the well, those occasions when they would go into town to buy supplies or whatever, but pretty much they were with him. There wasn't a long period of time where they were not with Jesus, so he met all their needs. He knew what they needed. He protected them. Um, they didn't need to ask him for things, but in verse 5, he says, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me where you're going, which is a sad thing. He's getting ready to go back to the Father. And to him, we found out last week that that was, that was the goal. That was delightful. That's going to be, you know, exalted above every name. And it's like he was looking forward to going back to the Father. But the disciples were so caught up in their own, woe is me, what's going on? What do you mean you're, te- what do you mean you're, you're going to leave us? And what do you mean they're going to kill us? They're, they get very self-focused. We do that, don't we? We get self-focused when we're anxious and, and, we're, and we're depressed. It's like it pulls us in and stuff. And Jesus is saying, you're not even asking me where I'm going. And I'm delighted to go there. You're caught up in this. But, he says in verse 6, because he loves them and he's selfless, he says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They're only focused on the loss. They're not even realizing that the fact that he's going to go through this stuff was a necessary thing that's going to bring them ultimate joy. The Holy Spirit could not come to them until after Jesus' work was accomplished. In verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the whole thing is that if they can get for a few minutes caught off of their own worrying about oh my gosh what are we gonna what's he talking about like they're gonna kill us they're gonna kick us out like what, what do you know get caught up all that they're not even really hearing the bigger picture of what's going on he needed to finish the work christ this is something that was very necessary to do and a good example of don't lose heart stay focused here verse eight and when he comes when the comforter when the helper comes He's going to do three things. He's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is already judged. So to convict somebody is to convince them of the reality of sin and the need for a Savior. The reality is... We're all sinners. The reality is there's nothing we can do to get ourselves to heaven. The reality is we're all spiritually dead. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves spiritually alive. The reality of it is we all are in this boat, this ship of fools, and we all need a Savior. So the Holy Spirit's job is to convict, make that a reality to to a dying world. The sin that is he convicts them of is yeah, sin in general, when we sin, we get that, 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 that uncomfortable feeling that we need to repent and make things right. 
But he is telling them that he, this, kind, this sin here is, uh, the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world, a dying world, of the ultimate sin of needing a Savior. Because that's the sin that finally damns people. John 5, looking back at John 5, verse 39, Jesus is telling the people, the Pharisees, scribes, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That's the sin he's talking about. The scriptures reveal who he is. The Holy Spirit is revealing who he is and the conviction of sin, the need for a savior, but they are unwilling to come to him. Second thing that he convicts them of is the righteousness, because when you compare sin to the righteousness of Christ, sinless, pure, and holy, just being around him and hanging around him is like, whoa, me compared to, he's just, wow, so, so good. That is the conviction of righteousness. We start to see our sins as a detestable evil. And the third thing, sin, righteousness, and judgment the world is incapable of judging right, right, righteously. If we have corrupt judges in our judicial system, they're not going to put down a, a, a right, a just uh, conviction, are they? And so who's the, judge, who's the judge of the world running around here? Is Satan, and he's already been judged. So the world cannot judge righteously. So the Holy Spirit is also going to convict them of true judgment. And, um, and I love how he says this ruler of this world, Satan, is already judged. He's already done. Done deal for him. So he's preparing them. He's telling them all these things. The other thing the Holy Spirit does, convicting the world of these things, is that he's going to reveal truth. In verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The disciples were just overwhelmed with sorrow and was missing a lot of what was being talked about. Very confused. But Jesus is telling them when he comes, the spirit comes, he will start to reveal truth to you and he will start to unfold things to you. Until they received the spirit, the indwelling spirit at Pentecost, it was very difficult to, to grasp these things now. But unless he left, the spirit would not come, guiding them into all truth. Truth doesn't change. Truth is pretty absolute. So the extension of the Holy Spirit's um, revelation, see in 1 Corinthians 2, 9-10, but as it is written in Isaiah 64, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So 1 Corinthians tells us that He's going to reveal things to us that we can't see or hear or comprehend or even imagine the things that he has prepared for us, for those people that he love and love him. That's going to be revealed through the Spirit. All truth, all truth. 
right here. These 66 books of the Bible here. And in Revelation, it, it warns us no one is to add or subtract anything from these books. Revelation 22, 6, 18 and 19 say, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. We cannot cherry pick scripture. We can't say, oh, we're going to do this, but you know what? We're not going to do that part. It's a very dangerous thing to do for us to stand in judgment of this book and say, it was in the news this I mean, it's just, it's coming at us rapidly, isn't it? The news this week, some pastor, big church, that basically got in his, you know, pulpit and said, well, the word of God isn't all the true word of God. Um, It is. It is the true word of God, and it's complete truth. It's complete. You don't add to it. You don't subtract to it. Um. He's going to guide us into it. First John, and this is an interesting thing, as people look at pastors and things like that. Lots of times we get caught up in a degree or they went to seminary or where'd they go. But you know what? Every single one of you women in this room can rightly divide the word of God. You don't need a degree. First John 2, 20, 20. 2027, 20, and then 27. Says, but you, John is saying, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Dropping down to 27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as anointing teaches but as his anointing teaches us about everything, and it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. He wasn't talking to a bunch of seminary students when he wrote this. He was talking to the church. Now, that's not to say that we carelessly, flippantly look, pick a verse out of the Bible and say, oh, okay, this is what it means. You have to rightly divide the word of God, especially... 2 Peter 3.16 warns us of this. There are some things in scriptures that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. So by studying the word of God, you've got to prayerfully study the word of God, humbly study the word of God. But we all who have the Holy Spirit can do us. And this is what Jesus was telling the disciples. He will reveal all truth to you. Um, so the goal of the Holy Spirit is to bring revelation, to convict the world, and also to bring revelation of the truth. Back to uh, chapter 16, verse 13. Um, second part of that verse. For he will not speak on his own authority, But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Which is basically, if he's talking about truth, is truth. Truth that God the Father has, truth the Son has, truth the Holy Spirit has. It's all the same truth, right? So, 
He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's a harmony there, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're based on truth that is unchanging. It is complete. It needs to be revealed and understood um, through the knowledge of the Spirit. We need to be enlightened to that. Um, and the Holy Spirit's ministry. Okay, Jesus, when he was here, he came um, to manifest God the Father to us. He came to, in, in bodily form, to l- allow us to see God. You have seen me, you've seen the Father, okay? Jesus glorified the Father. Now the Spirit's going to come and reveal all of Jesus and all of truth to us, and he's going to glorify Jesus, disclosing more truth about Jesus. So he, when he glorifies, remember our word glorify is making known attributes of God and us acknowledging that that's glorifying God him being known may the heavens declare the glory of God so the Holy Spirit will glorify him verse 14 he will glorify me because it's just more truth being revealed Um, the focus of the Holy Spirit's ministry is not the gifts I'll say that again. (laughs) The focus of the Holy Spirit's ministry is not the gifts. Speaking in tongues, whatever, it's not. The focus of the Holy Spirit's ministry is to glorify Jesus Christ. And we have gotten sidetracked in that in some of our denominations, okay? He uses the truth to transform our lives into the, uh, into the image of Christ. He uses truth to, to get in there and to sanctify us and transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And that is glorifying Jesus. That's what it's about. I don't care if you speak in time. I don't care if you have the gift. I don't care about any of that stuff. That's not the role. The, the thing is, do you manifest? Do you bear the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. Because if you have the gift of healings, but you're, you're speaking bad mouth or cruel or whatever, it does not matter. It's that fruit of the Spirit. That's the things that, that show. I was asked a question last week, and I'll just make a reference to this. People who are in ministry and do what appears to be good things in the church, and then they fall away from the church, like this pastor I just mentioned, because they're dropping like flies, it seems like. Well, didn't he have fruit? Didn't he have this big church or whatever? Didn't, weren't there a lot of converts to him through his teaching? Maybe so, but remember, Lord, Lord, oh, we prophesied in your name, we did this in your name, and everything, and, and Jesus says, no, away from me, I never knew you. Okay, it wasn't because of them that maybe some people were saved. It was because the truth was maybe told. Maybe the guy read a passage. I don't know. But the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all self-control, all of that stuff. That's the stuff we need to see in people's lives. Okay. I grappled with that all week, that question, because I wanted to make sure I had the right answer. Not all week, but okay. So 
The goal of the Holy Spirit is to reveal. And there's a harmony there and to glorify God. So, disciples, so, women in here today, don't fall away. Don't get caught up. Don't stumble. Don't, don't, don't fret. Don't get caught up in anxiety. Don't get depressed. Don't get your mindset derailed. That's another good word. Derailed onto something that doesn't line up with like we're in heaven. We're not in heaven yet. We live in a fallen world that hates us. So Jesus is warning them ahead of time to be prepared. All right, let's look at that term, uh, take heart. To take heart, let's flip it. Don't lose heart. Don't be anxious. Don't panic. Take control of our thoughts and expect a good outcome. That was in the definition. Expect a good outcome. To take heart, we anticipate a good outcome. We have hope. To take heart, to have confidence, courage, bolstering our our happiness, our, our mental happiness. We are bolstering that. We're taking control of our mind so we can be brave. Okay? We need to be brave. We need to be courageous. And we get caught up in anxiety and, oh my gosh, what's going on? What I don't understand this and everything. Well, yeah, read your Bible. Talk to be part of a fellowship and talk about what's going on and encourage one another and that bolsters us up so jesus is continuing to prepare his disciples as we look at verse 16 he says that little for a little while and you'll see me no longer in a little while you know you'll see me in a little while this and he's like little while whatever what's going on so some of his disciples said to one another, what is it he's saying? A little while and, and you'll see me. In a little while you won't see me. And then you'll see me again because I'm going to the Father. So they were like talking amongst themselves. They were counseling among, what is he talking about here? Gee, what does it mean and everything? We, we don't know what he's talking about and everything. And in verse 19, I love this, Jesus says, because he knows what they're talking about. Because he knows everything. There's such confidence that he knows everything. I even know what you guys are talking about over there. Are you guys, he says to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by a little while and you'll not see me, a little while and you'll see me? Pay attention, verse 20. Pay attention, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Ah, contrast. We're going to be weeping and lamenting when he dies. The world's going to be rejoicing. You will be sorrowful, but... Your sorrow will turn into joy. They got to hear that part of it. They have to understand that's going to happen. You're going to be sad. Things happen and we get sad, right? But we don't lose heart. We get sad. Sad things happen. We get ang- we get stressed, but we don't stay that way. We get back on track. We don't lose heart. We get back into the word of God. We get back praying for each other. We encourage each other back on track. Your sorrow will turn into joy. The world will rejoice. We see the world rejoice in a lot of times when bad laws are passed that are stand against God's word. And we're even see, starting to see the Bible talks about this lady. They will call good evil and evil good. 
Are we not seeing that today? We are living in unique times. The crucifixion was not just a bump in the road on the way to fulfilling God's plan. The crucifixion was not just an obstacle that needed to be overcome in order for salvation. The crucifixion was the thing that had to happen in order for us to have joy. The crucifixion was the way the plan would be fulfilled. So going through the sorrow was directly connected to the coming joy. And later they would, later on in the, 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 all the gospels that they wrote and the, the letters and stuff, they never, not one of those disciples ever said anything about regretting the cross. Never happened. Because it, it had to happen. They could see it now that the sorrow turned into joy. Then Jesus goes on to use that illustrative parable about um, giving birth. It's similar to the birth process. And if you've been there, you know exactly what you, I mean, it's vivid in my mind, especially that first one. Oh, my goodness. And then the second one. Oh, I know what's going to happen. But I know it's going to be happy, too. It just is. It's a miracle thing that just kind of dissolves right into, oh, well, I might consider doing this again if this is the outcome. <laughs> Maybe my right, right, my right, right mindset, but, but, the, but he, he uses that. And when I was reading that, and I don't have time to get into this, but I'm just going to hit it because I think in the days that are unfolding before us, what's going to come out in the news, the truth of some of the stuff that's been going on in the world, in our country, in Washington, D.C., in the world, is going to horrify us. The sins against children... And the abuses that, are, that have been underground, undercover for many, many, a long, long, long period of time. As those things come out, I want you to be able to realize the world does hate God and hates what God loves, which is people. So when I was reading this and I, and I saw, yeah, a woman's sorrow, it turns into, and her anguish. Uh, remember your anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Children are a joy. Satan is the opposite of that. And we see it. I'll leave it there. Truly, truly. In that day, verse 23, you will ask nothing of me. In that day, you'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. There's so much in this. So he's telling them that hang in there. You're going to be sorrowful, but don't get stuck there. Don't lose heart, because your joy will turn into sorrow. And another really cool thing is going to come from this, you guys, and that's prayer. Prayer is going to come out of this. Up to this point, there's been no need for you to pray because, hey, I've been right here with you. I've been hanging out. I can see what you need before it happens. I direct you where I'm, I've been protecting you, all this stuff. But when I go and the comfort comes, something pretty cool is going to happen. It's when you ask things in my name, you will ask. And it's a commandment to ask. We just don't assume he's going to get it. We need to ask because by asking things that we need in prayer to God... It's acknowledging him as the source of that. And it's not a magical thing if you ask in my name. It's not a little phrase we tag on at the end of a prayer. Okay, we're going to say everything. Say, oh, and, oh, yeah, and don't forget to say in Jesus' name. 
That's not what it's about. What praying in Jesus' name is praying along with his will, abiding in him, having the mindset of God, praying according to those things, and we will receive what we ask for because we are right on track. We did not get off track. We, we are abiding with him. And he will supply every need that we have. And when that happens, who gets the glory for that? God does. This was new for the disciples. They had never asked Jesus for anything like this. So this was kind of probably a puzzlement to them also. Okay? And with the cross, with the cross, and with that resurrection on that Easter morning where that veil was rent from the top down, open access to the throne room of God. We have it. We don't have to jump through. We don't have to go through a high priest. We don't have, we have access to the throne room of God, unlimited, undeniable access to God because of the cross. Ask, receive, and what happens? Your joy may be full. Ah, that, I love that phrase. Your joy will be full. So full. That's like, stop, God. This don't, I, can't, I can't take any more joy anymore. <laughs> In a world that hates us, to have that, that is going to make a statement to people. People are going to notice that. Abide. Remember last week, abide, something that remains where it is, continues in a fixed state, it endures, maintaining an unbroken communion with Jesus Christ. What breaks fellowship? Sin. Take heart. Things are going to be bad. Don't fall away. Don't lose heart. Take heart. Control your thoughts. Stay on task. You know ahead of time what's going to happen. All right. Wrapping it up here. He goes on and points out there's three Christian attributes in this last part here. And in 1 Corinthians 13, remember we have um, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And we have it in this last part of this, the passage here where he's talking about um, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. And the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. The Father loves us. Why? Because we have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus and submitted to that and because of that, we have a connection with God, and he loves us because you have loved me. So there's a love there. Um, Father loves us. Sometimes we don't always think we, Jesus loves us, but the Father loves us too. And it's demonstrated through we our obedience to Christ that demonstrates that love, a deep, caring affection for his children. No fear. If God the Father loves us, Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We have a unique relationship with God the Father who loves us. And it goes on with faith. Because... 
The Father loves you because you loved me and have believed that I came from God. So there's a faith there. You believed, love, faith. Jesus Christ is the central doctrine of Christianity. He came from the Father. He's returning to the Father. He's accomplished the work to return to the Father's. Of course, they're not really understanding this. It's not real complete because they're not on the other side of the cross yet. And the last thing he points out here in verse 33, I'll drop down to there. He's telling them that they're going to be scattered. The hour's coming. You're going to be scattered and everything, but... You know, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me, abiding in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What a great promise that is. Great mystery. There's a hope out there. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in me. The hope of glory. What a great phrase that is. And eternal security in his love. And Romans 8 talks about that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So as the, the next few days, weeks, months, uh, might be years, I don't know when Jesus is coming again. He can come as soon as I close this book. <laughs> Um, because we don't know when he's going to take his church out before all hell breaks loose, but things are more and more pointing that way. So don't lose heart. Know that we stay on track. We stay connected to God. We abide in his word. We ask him for the things we need, and our joy will be filled. We're on that journey. Life is a journey. And in psychology, they always have it when you dream, well, you're traveling in a car. Well, usually your car or whatever you're traveling around in represents your life. It's a traveling thing. Or your bus or whatever. Some people ride around in buses, you know. (laughs) But as we go through life's journey, he's prepared us for everything we need along the way. God, thank you. Thank you that your love is so immense for us that you have let us know ahead of time. Forgive us when we forget that. Forgive us when we get derailed or get sidetracked. But you are so gracious and merciful that you just pick us back up and brush us off and set us back on track. Thank you, God. We want to live with our joy full. We want to live for you as lights in a dark world. So help us with that to your glory. Amen.